0: Yes, amen. Thank you, music team, for leading us. Well, good morning. It's good to be together, and uh, it's good to begin a new year together. Uh, While it's a new year, we return to something familiar, uh, Colossians. Uh, It's not merely familiar because we've been preaching it. It's familiar because it's God's Word. It's familiar because it speaks to a people then who were struggling with some of the same stuff we do now. The Colossians were, if you remember, we've talked about this before, they were tempted to think that their faith was about religious performance, trying to be a good person, uh, up, that their faith was going to be about supernatural experiences and things like angel worship and things that perhaps made them feel good. Or finding wisdom and knowledge, finding that figuring life out on their own, all those things they were tempted to think was what their faith was about. But there's no power in those things, and it misses the heart of Christianity. Paul is so Christ-centered in this letter. <laughs> and it turns out Christ is the center of Christianity. What does that look like for our daily lives, to be Christ-centered. What does that look like? Well, this passage helps us. It guides us. Uh, I've been encouraged by it this week. I've been challenged by it this week. And I pray that it finds you that way as well. This is God's word. Colossians 1, uh, verse 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. With plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is God's Word. Let's pray now and ask Him to guide us through this passage as we uh, dive in together. Father, we do thank you for your Word. I pray that you would speak in power through your spirit, through a broken, fallible vessel, redeemed by grace alone. Lord, would you speak through me? Would you bless us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us, making us more into the likeness of your son, Jesus? We ask in his name, amen. I recently had a a conversation with uh, a non-Christian friend of mine, and uh, he was speaking about, past church experiences that he's had in other places. And he talked about how, uh, he he wrestled with words, how to describe it, but he said, uh, for me it felt like it lacked substance. Okay, that's interesting that a non-Christian's radar is up looking for that. Uh, That's actually in our DNA, we're looking for that. What is that? What should it be? We talked about that for a little bit. But it got me thinking, If he follows me around all day, every day for a long time, what would he say is the substance of my faith? What should that substance be? What should it look like day in and day out? I was reminded this week of a survey done uh, in 2005 uh, by an author uh, named Christian Smith. He sought to figure out what do teenagers and young adults believe in America Generally speaking, what do they believe? And he surveyed different faith groups, but generally it boiled down to five uh, creeds, if you will. It all sort of got summed up with this. Uh, and And I'll read them to you now, these five creeds. One is, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Four, God doesn't need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Five, good people go to heaven when they die. Uh, that was 2005. Those teenagers and young adults are in their 30s and 40s now. That's kind of where I'm at, that's not to point fingers now at the 30s and 40s and say, what did you guys do? (laughs) Or to even point fingers at teenagers and young adults now, because I think that that way of thinking has been around a lot longer than that. In some ways, I think perhaps our first parents inherited or took on some of that way of thinking in the beginning, didn't they? And they believed the lie and thought, well, let's, let's keep God at a convenient distance. We'll figure this life out on our own. And we'll just sort of maybe keep Him handy if we need Him to help us out with something. I think that's been handed down for a long time. Keeping God at a convenient distance so I can figure life out for myself. I'm generally a good person, I really just need to feel good about myself. The problem is there's no power in any of that way of living, is there? There's no substance to it. And I think as we reflect on last year, we see a year that has stripped some of that way of thinking away and revealed some of the fact that there's no power in that. We look for the substance. We're looking for where is it? The centerpiece of this passage that I've just read for us is that God is not conveniently distant with his people. Not only does he come near, (laughs) but he comes to live in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the substance of our faith. How about that for substance? God himself dwelling in us. So, I read that, and I'm encouraged by it, but I'm also challenged by it as I think about my own life. What is the substance of my faith on a day-to-day basis? Does our faith have substance? Do we want it to have substance? Are we willing to let God explore that in us through his word this morning? Would you let God's word explore that in you as it has done that in me this week? I think as we explore that, we're going to see three sort of questions that come out of the text that challenge us, that are implicit in the text. One is, do we treasure Christ in us? Two, are our goals set by christ in us and three what is the cost of christ in us so let's go there together the treasure first of all we see the language that paul uses here in the text he speaks of riches of a treasure of of just weightiness the glory of the riches of christ in you there's just weightiness to the treasure but he talks about a mystery he calls it a mystery right But he says it's a mystery revealed. So it's not a mystery that we've got to go and figure out or go find it or hope that maybe we live a life that will take us along that path where we can maybe one day figure out this Christianity thing. Maybe one day we'll get it figured out. But until then, it's sort of like, well, I'm just going to do my thing. It's not that because he says it's a mystery revealed, revealed to his saints. It comes to us. We don't have to go find it. Paul says it's Christ in you. So believer, I want to encourage you, brother and sister, this morning. First off, if Christ is in you, the mystery has been revealed to you. The treasure is in you. You don't have to find it. You don't have to figure it out. Certainly we grow until the day we die, until the day we go and be with him. But Christ is in you. This comes through what we call regeneration, right? That's how it comes to us. He comes to us through regeneration. It's that need that we all have before we know him. Ezekiel 36 speaks of it, the need of a new heart, right? He needs to take the heart of stone out and put it in the heart of flesh. And then our eyes are open to him. We call that regeneration. That's his way of coming to dwell in us. And we call it union with Christ, We are united to Christ. And there is a lot of aspects of that that is a mystery. I don't know that I can fully, we will fully ever wrap our minds around what that entails. But we can enjoy it. Union with Christ. Do you have him? If if you're wrestling with that, if that's a question you have, is Christ in me? I don't know, I've been going to church for years, I've, I've looked like a Christian for le- years, I've lived like a Christian for years, but is Christ in me? I, I ask that question because I invite you to explore it. Come and talk with me or James or one of the elders. We'd love to, to talk about that with you. That's not a question that should bring condemnation, but it's an invitation to explore the beauty, the treasure of Christ in us, that promise that we are given. Don't let fear hold you back from exploring that. Uh, Christmas Eve service, James talked ab- about how fear can hold us back in, in the sense of what will people think of me? I've been going to church for years. I've looked like a Christian for years. Maybe I've even thought I was a Christian. What, if, what would it look like if I surrender now? What will people think of me if I do that now? Don't let that fear hold you back. Please, come talk to us. We will rejoice with you that God is at work in you and that he's coming to dwell in you. So do not let fear hold you back of enjoying the treasure of Christ in you. This treasure, Paul says, is rich and glorious. The word glory uh, has the sense, the meaning of weightiness, something of substance, right? Right? But are you seeing Christ in you as the substance of your faith, believers? We're tempted to think and uh, see lesser things rather than Christ in us. The substance of Christianity, of Christ in us, it says things like, "Yes, you're a worse sinner than you can imagine," and "No, you can't do anything to change it." And <laughs> this life, it really isn't about me or you. But Christ frees us from trying to make those things about us when he comes to take up residence inside of us and therefore give us substance. Trying to be a good person, feeling good about oneself, they're empty in comparison to Christ in you. So do we treasure him? You know what you treasure will change you, right? I remember when my eldest child, Sarah Kate, was born. Uh, we're in the hospital still. I think it was the day after, and, uh, you know, Michelle had been doing most of the mother, motherly care for our new baby. Uh, she had the instincts to do it, and the next day she was like, all right, I need to, I need to, like, take a shower. Can you just, like, hold this baby for a little while and take care of her? And so I was like, yeah, let me, I'll I'll figure this out as a new dad, right? And so she goes to take a shower, and Sarah Kate's just crying. I can't get her to stop. And I'm feeling like the weightiness <laughs> and the overwhelmed feeling of like, wow, I'm a dad. Now. I'm, I'm actually responsible for this human being. <laughs> uh, but I also treasured it, even though I was overwhelmed. And ever since then, that has changed me because I treasure this gift of children. What do you treasure? You see, it will change you if it's weighty if it's big it'll change you so what do you treasure if my friend that i spoke about earlier if he followed me around for a week again what would he say that i treasured what would he say that you treasured whatever where wherever your treasure is jesus said wherever your treasure is there your heart will be also right everything will follow what you treasure in your life and it turns out what you treasure will set the goals for your life, right? Which takes us to the next point of what, how, what are the goals that are set by, our, by Christ in us? Have you thought about that? Have you wrestled with that question? Have you asked yourself, uh, James and I have talked about this as we've sat down with folks and just, I love the question of like, what's, what's the vision for your life? What's the goal for your life to stop and just, Meditate on that question. Have you thought about it? What are you working towards? I uh, watched a documentary recently uh, called Iron Cowboy. Uh, it's a guy who, uh, his name's uh, James Lawrence. He set out, he set a goal for, for his life at some point. He got into Ironman races, right? And he set a goal. He said, I'm going to do 50 full Ironmans in 50 consecutive days In all 50 states, so one in each state every day, (laughs) and now you're like, what on earth? It's impossible, right? He did it. (laughs) He did it. Uh, He did it on like four or five hours of sleep every night, trying to travel, but he had a team of people with him. His family was on board. They were traveling with him, but he did this. He started out in Alaska and made his way around. I mean, his body was on the verge of breaking down most of the time, but he had like medical people with him to... Like pump IV life back into his body. But he did it. Because he, fo- he fixed his mind on that goal. And he did it. He had a clear goal and he knew what he was doing. What are we doing with our lives? What's our goal? Sometimes I have to stop myself and see like what. Well, I'm just sort of going about life and I'm not focused sometimes on my goal. I'm just sort of saying where. Well let's see What happens? What's our goal? I've had numerous conversations with people. Certainly, lately, maybe it's this past year that sort of brought this question back to the surface. But what is people wrestling with the question? What's my purpose? What am I here for? What's my purpose now in life? We go through seasons of life too, don't we? Where we we see different uh, things that sort of define our purpose. But what is it? That's a big question, isn't it? You wrestle you wrestle with that question too. Purpose. What is it? Paul, in this passage, seems to have a a twofold purpose. He describes it, he seems clear on it. He says, one, it's to make this mystery known Christ in you, the hope of glory, to make it known, and to present everyone mature in Christ. Now you might be thinking, well, that's Paul, he's an apostle. Or maybe that's the job, that's the, you know, pastors do that stuff. You know, because what we're talking about here is evangelism and discipleship. And you're still thinking, well, that's for the people that are good at that. I'm not good at it. It's actually uh, two of the four core activities that we define as a church, Christ church. Our four core activities are worship, engage, that's the evangelism, outreach, commune, that's a discipleship and then steward. We steward everything we have to do those other things. It's part of our core activities. It's for us as a body to do together. If Christ in me is my treasure, I will talk about it. Uh Penn and Teller, you know the uh the magician duo, Penn and Teller, you know those guys? One of the uh, pen, he says he's a he's a devout atheist. He a proponent for atheism, but he says uh, if you're a Christian and you truly believe what you believe, and you love me, you should tell me about it, right? Even though he's an atheist, he's like I I think a Christian. If if they really love me, they're going to tell me about what they believe. They think their God exists and he's redeeming people, and he's making all things new, and there's a heaven and a hell, I hope you tell me about it. Christ is in you if you belong to Christ. If you belong to him, he is in you. You have all you need for evangelism and discipleship because he's in you. His spirit is in you. Yes, we'll grow, we can be equipped, and that's part of the job of the leadership of the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You have what you need. You have a spirit in you. He is in you. So what non-Christians are in our lives? Have you thought about that? Who's in your life? Who do you know? Who's in your sphere of influence? How could we be pursuing them? Who are we discipling within the body? Who Who are you asking to disciple you? I love the, the, uh, the vision, the desire that James has shared with us numerous times that, that our desire, and our vision, and our hope, and our prayer is that we're a church where everyone has someone pouring into them, and we are pouring into someone else. I know we can easily disqualify ourselves and say, I don't, I, I'm not equipped for that. I, I'm not good at that. If Christ is in you, you have what you need. That would be our desire, our hope, So don't disqualify yourself from that. Oftentimes, ministry is better caught than taught. Sometimes it's just bringing somebody with you and doing what you're gifted at. So I encourage you to bring someone. Men, pick a man. Women, pick a woman. And bring them with you and do what you do in the work of ministry. This year, one of the things I want to do is gather a a group of folks within the body to begin the work of equipping evangelism. To gather a small group that will be equipped to be equippers within the body. And if that's something that sounds interesting to you, come talk to me about it. We'll do that together. This year could be a year where you begin a new discipleship relationship. Where you ask someone to disciple you. But before we begin that, we determine what's our goal? What's our life's goal? Now, if those things are our goal, if... if Uh, making the mystery known, the mystery of Christ in you known, and presenting everyone mature in Christ. If those are our goals, they do come with a cost, right? It does cost us something. Paul talks about cost here, but Scripture is very clear. Paul is very clear. Salvation is a totally free gift in Christ, right? It's totally free. We can't earn it, we can't pay for it, we simply receive it and enjoy it. But following Christ will cost us everything. Treasuring him, aligning our goals with his will cost us everything. Jesus said as much in Mark 8, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I'm challenged by that. But it's an invitation to grow into that. Now, Paul says something odd, verse 24. Maybe it struck you in the beginning. I haven't spoken to it yet, but he says... uh, in, the, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Maybe you're like, wait, is, did Christ not finish something? Is that what Paul's saying? No, it's not what Paul's saying. The atonement was complete and finished. Christ's work is finished. He said it was finished for our salvation, for the atonement of our sin, that we might be reconciled to God once and for all. So Paul's not saying that. But he is saying I suffer in union with Christ. They're suffering to go around for the body. If you look around the world, you see our brothers and sisters are suffering greatly. And Paul's, it's as if Paul is saying, I get to suffer with Christ. I get to do that for your sake. So that's simply what he's saying. He's saying, I'm suffering in union with Christ. That's part of my cost of following him, part of my cost of making the mystery known, of presenting people mature in Christ. Um, that's what he means. It's part of the cost. Uh, Paul rejoices in suffering. Is he insane? Why would you do that? Rejoice in suffering? Hmm. But we do understand that as we think about someone you love very much, someone close to you, we do suffer for them, don't we? We do give things up for those who are who we love, who we care about. We sacrifice time, resources, energy, all those things, right? For for our children, for our spouses, for our parents, for people that we care about, we do give up for them. And Paul's saying, I I do that for Christ too. Thankfully, I think most of us haven't suffered to the degree that Paul had. You know, he, he went through a lot Uh, He was beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked, put in prison, stressed out all the time, anxious over the churches that he ministered to. But we suffer, maybe not to that degree, maybe not in that way, thankfully, but we do toil and struggle. Some of us have gone through a great deal, loss, pain, anxiety, illness, we've gone through a lot. And he has revealed through those things the substance of your faith at times. I was listening to a fellow brother share his story just yesterday. He'd been through a lot. And it revealed the substance of his faith. It's beautiful. So know this, brother and sister, God wastes nothing in your life. He doesn't waste anything. He reveals the substance of your faith through what we do go through. Be encouraged by that. But we do look, I look at my own life and I ask the question, what, what is following Christ costing me? What is it costing you? The Bible never said it was going to be comfortable, right? If it's comfortable, perhaps we reconsider him. You know, evangelism and outreach can be really awkward, Right? You ever felt the awkwardness of just trying to do it and you're like, what am I doing? Uh, This is weird. I don't understand. I can't tell you how many times I've let awkwardness cause me to be a coward in sharing the gospel. That's happened to me a bunch. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. Discipleship can be awkward, right? When we lean into someone else's life with the gospel, it can be awkward. I've done both badly in my life. Sometimes I've been a coward when I should have warned a fellow believer. Paul talks about warning and teaching everyone. Sometimes I've warned badly in unloving ways. Sometimes I've been completely awkward and turned people off. Sometimes my desire for the other person to like me is my treasure rather than making the mystery of Christ known or seeking to present that person mature in Christ Do you experience any of that too? I suspect you do. So what do we do with it, with all of that? Well, we have the beautiful rhythm of life in Christ of repentance and faith. And I invite you to repent of that and turn back in faith to treasure the fact that Christ is still in you. The hope of glory is still in you as you belong to him. Keep showing up in non-Christians' lives keep showing up in each other's lives with the gospel. Paul says his goal, one of the things he speaks of as we roll into the first part of chapter two there is uh, that we would be knit together in love. There's many things that would seek to divide us, right? This year has sought to divide us in many ways, but we're being asked in that by that and being knit together in love means being intentionally intentional, leaning into each other. It takes work, right? Relationships are work. But they're worth it. Who are you pursuing? Who are you inviting to speak into you? Friends, a Christianity that has substance isn't comfortable. It will cost us everything, but it is worth everything for the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what's the substance of our faith? Christianity is not a casual tip of the hat, an occasional Sunday morning box check. It is Christ in you. So I ask, is Christ in you? There is no condemnation in that question. There is an invitation If he isn't, please don't let fear hold you back of thinking, what will people think of me? I've looked like a Christian for years. It's not too late to surrender to Christ, ever. Surrender to him. We will celebrate with you. Believer, sometimes we're lulled away from the substance of our faith, aren't we? It happens. It happens to us all. We get lulled away. The culture says, hey, God wants you to be happy comfortable, safe, feel good about uh, ourselves, have a great church experience. We're a pretty good person already, just keep trying to do the right thing, play fair, vote for the right candidate, make the right social statement, and God will be at your service when you need him. You do you. That's what the culture says to us. And it sounds nice sometimes, doesn't it? And it lulls us away from the substance of our faith, and it's empty. But believer, we have the great joy of being in covenant relationship with our God, and he says, come, repent, run back to the substance that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, Father, we thank you that you've given us your Son, He is the substance of our faith. He is everything. Help us once again to treasure him. Help us once again to orient our life completely around following him and him being in us. That we would rejoice in the fact that it would cost us everything else. All the lesser things, but all those things are nothing in comparison to having the treasure of your son Jesus in us, our hope of glory. Father, we pray these things in his name. Amen.